I was messing up every line. I was like, I got to improvise a bunch of this. Oh, yeah, every line. I was like, Steve, those are not the words on the those page. Those are not the lines, <laughs> it's but okay. fine. It's fine. What he's saying doesn't matter. Welcome to the Right Around Podcast, a chance to step away from our own notebooks and into another's. My name's Kate, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Steve and Julie. Steve, what are we talking about today? Today, Kate, we will be doing a live reading of my short story, The Sunken Planet. In a far-flung future where humanity has gained eternal life in exchange for ignorance of the past, one man seeks to satisfy his curiosity. Will Rio Duvac successfully learn about the prehistoric humanity, or will the powers that be get to him first? Let's get into it, Steve. Uh, Start us off. All right, yeah. The Sunken Planet. Deep within the recesses of space, there is a vast combustible sea. It is as black as a surrounding void and ready to ignite. This boundless ocean hosts but one entity, a single dark planet. This planet floats upon the surface of the sea, half submerged. On occasion, the sea will grow restless and conjure massive waves. These waves crash upon the planet, pushing it below the surface. Without fail, however, that murky planet emerges from the depths and reveals its grim visage to the universe abroad. That planet's name is Death and its cosmic pull has drawn every person's gaze as they slept. Those whose slumbering eyes linger too long are lost to the rest of us forever. One day I shall die, and I will bring with me but a single match, with which I shall light that evil sea ablaze. When a dark corner of the night sky grows a touch lighter, you shall know that I have succeeded. Dr. Curious Maxwell, November 14th, 2178. Part 1. The Archive It wasn't the words themselves that were off. The writings of Dr. Curious Maxwell were omnipresent, familiar. Given just the first two words, I'm pretty sure most people could recite the rest of the quote. It wasn't the plaque that the words sat upon that was throwing me off either. The tasteful bronze feature perched above the lobby doorway contrasted nicely against the white of the room. The scene before me should have been pleasant if not mundane. Yet as I continued to reread those familiar words, I felt my brow furrow some unseen inconsistency tugging at the back of my mind. Sorry to keep you waiting, sir. I can see you now. The appearance of a second person brought me back to the archive lobby. The person I had come to visit was now standing behind her desk, looking at me expectantly from across the small room. No problem at all, I replied as I made my way over. I called earlier. I think you're the archivist I talked to. Miss Moray, right? I am, and that must make you Rio Duvac. With this realization, the mask of formality slipped from her face, replaced with an expression of mild amusement. It's a real pleasure to meet you. Thank you, likewise. I put on a kind expression and prepared myself for the usual line of questions. Tell me, Rio, how old are you now? Wait, hold on, I got it. You should be 216 by now, right? 214 as of three weeks ago, I stated through a polite half-smile. You're so young, she said with a chuckle. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. No worries at all, I assured her. I get that all the time. No, I know how annoying it can be. Her tone and expression returned to their formal state. Whenever I tell someone that I'm 257... Wait a minute, you're only 257? I interrupted. Why, you're not that much older than I am. I didn't say I wasn't young, but I am 43 years older than you. If you want to tell me that 43 years for people of our age isn't a big difference, then I'm going to have to disagree. I've had this conversation more times than I care to recall. In my estimation, it wasn't worth the effort to argue a counterpoint. 
I instead opted to shrug my shoulders silently, conceding the point. Content to move on, she turned toward her screens, looking at me out of the corners of her eyes and asked, Well, Rio, what brings you to this little old archive? I can't imagine it's the closest one available to you. It definitely was a little bit of a trip. I'm looking for something hard to come by, and I'm hoping you have it. Upon hearing this, Miss Murray turned her head towards me and flashed me a knowing smile. I understand completely. One second, young man. And with that, she lifted her ringed index finger to her face and stated, 53M1, please shut down. A voice originating from the ring responded with a cordial, Of course, Miss Murray. The dimming of the small blue light atop the ring indicated that the companion was deactivated. Looking at me, Miss Murray asked if my 2-Alpha-1 unit was off. I responded by lifting my hand, revealing the de-illuminated ring. Turned it off before I came in. With that, the woman motioned for me to follow her, and we made our way into the adjoining corridor. As we proceeded through the archive, we passed rooms lining both sides of the hallway, each of similar construction. Small and windowless, with a single chair and a decent-sized viewport in the center. Occasionally, one of the rooms would be occupied by someone. These people would either be peering into their viewport or having a viewport project the data outwards, transforming the rooms into immersive information outlets. The doors on a few of the rooms had their glass tinted by the occupants, buying them some privacy. At the end of the corridor was a windowless door that led into what turned out to be Miss Murray's office. It was a tight space, housing a single desk with a small viewport built into the top and a couple of accompanying chairs. Once the door slid back into place, it sealed itself, preventing any noise from seeping in or out. The walls themselves seemed to be of solid construction, lacking any form of window to view the outside world. Given what I knew about the archivist in front of me, the extra level of security made sense, but the enhanced level of intimacy it created made me uneasy. While I knew that Miss Murray had developed a reputation as a peddler of taboo data, what I was looking for was far removed from the bounds of regular curiosity. If I had read the situation wrong and the person in front of me took great offense to my request, I would have no easy way of getting out of this situation. Question for you, Rio. Miss Murray started. Upon entering the office, she had abandoned the pretense of formality. A smirk was fixed upon her face, and she spoke in a curious, playful tone. How did you find out about me? I don't exactly broadcast what I've hidden in my collection. It wasn't easy. I can't just ask people if they've seen what I'm looking for. So for the past few years, I've had to, in a roundabout way, ask if anyone knew where I could access taboo data. A few months ago, I ran into a fellow who told me that he had read Richo's journal, and that you supplied it. Wow, Rio, I have to say, I didn't peg you for a deviant, but if you want to examine the journal... No, please, I'm not interested. It's just good to know that you have it and are lending it out. I feel like it will make my request seem a little less out there. Using Rico's journal as a litmus test? Okay, well, now I'm interested. Tell me, what is it exactly that you're looking for? And I'll pull it up for you. Looking at the excitement on the woman's face, I could tell now that the person in front of me was criminally curious. Not only did she have no qualms in peddling out data deemed too aberrant to be viewed by general society, she actually reveled in its exploration. Feeling as though I had finally found a kindred soul in my three-year quest, I revealed to her the topic of my interest. It's nothing specific, really. I just want to know if you have anything at all about prehistoric humans. Any data at all from before- Stop. Stop. Upon hearing my request, Miss Murray's demeanor immediately changed. 
She now leaned back in her chair with her face pointed upwards. Her hands rested on her head, massaging her temples. After an exaggerated sigh, she stated in her harsh voice, You're a fool, Mr. Dubak, and a dangerous one at that. She now looked at me, doing very little to hide her contempt. As her eyes lingered on me, I became acutely aware of how secure the door behind me was. Are you trying to get detained, Rio? Are you trying to get me detained? No, I, I just... Reconditioned for decades on end for no reason. I just... Stop, really. Listen to me. I don't know how you've gone this long without learning this, but there is no prehistoric data. It's all gone, purged, and for good reason. She was now standing, towering over me as I remained seated. She took on the mannerism of an educator desperately trying to convey some fundamental truth to a non-compliant student. Do you know anything about prehistoric humans? Well, I know that they were mortal. There you go. That's all you need to know. All they did was die and waste their time worrying about dying. They must have. Stop. I'm telling you, Rio. Give it up. That data was toxic. We're all better off without it. It appeared that some of the initial shock from my request had subsided as her features became a little more relaxed. Obviously, I can't turn you in. You know too much about me, and I don't want to be detained. I'm telling you, though, give up this search. What you're looking for doesn't exist, and if it did, the world itself is liable to fall apart. Miss Murray looked at me, waiting for my response. Realizing the foolishness of this endeavor, and having witnessed what a reaction it had drawn, I gave the archivist the answer she was after. When she was satisfied with my response, she led me out of her office and back into the lobby where we first met. Mr. Duvac? Started Miss Murray through a false smile. I'm sorry we didn't have what you were looking for. I wish I could have helped more. Please have a nice day. Likewise. Thank you for your time. With that, I made my way out of the lobby, preparing to leave the archive. On my way out, I took one last look at the plaque inscribed with the words of Dr. Curious Maxwell. My brow once again furrowed as I reread those familiar words. Part 2. In Transit I hurriedly made my way back to my craft not wanting to linger a moment longer than necessary. Once inside, I realized that, despite myself, my heart was racing. I gave myself a good 30 seconds to calm down before calling out, 52G3, you can come back now. With that, the interior of the craft was filled with a soft blue light, syncing up with my companion. After a second, I was greeted by a familiar voice. Good evening, sir. Did you find what you were looking for? Sadly not, old friend. Ran into another dead end. Sorry to hear that. I wish I could be of more assistance to you in your endeavors, but I understand that certain matters demand their privacy. If you see fit that I be left uninformed on the subject, I trust your judgment 100%. I appreciate that. Thank you. For now, just take us home. I'm going to try to get some rest. Understood. Traveling home. With that, the craft rose up, then took off westward. Despite my best efforts, I couldn't get any rest. Instead, the confrontation in the office kept replaying in my head. Miss Murray's words spoken with the conviction of truth, despite the fact that I knew they were wrong. Looking back, what disturbed me the most was not the reaction itself, but how it highlighted how ignorant I had been up until three years ago. Before that, I too would have cursed the name of any person that expressed interest in the prehistoric. Given the chance, I would have assured such a person that nothing prehistoric survived the transition into the modern day. That was until I had prehistoric books within my own hands. My time with them was brief, but the words they presented were fantastical. Suddenly an idea struck me. 
looking out the craft's side window into the foliage rushing below, I asked out loud, G3, can you get me in touch with Yusef? Of course, sir. Contacting him now. I was half expecting the publicists to be preoccupied, so I was caught off guard when the dial tone coming out of the speakers was replaced by his voice. Rio, is that really you? The genuine elation in the man's voice did wonders to cheer me up. How have you been? It's been a little bit, hasn't it? Yusef, hey, yeah, it's me. How you been? Oh, I'm doing much better now than my favorite clients called. You say that's all your clients. Ah, yeah, so what? When I say it to you, I mean it. Just wish you didn't go so long avoiding me. Yusef, you know I'm not avoiding you. Yeah, 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 I get it. You're a private man. You don't like being in the public eye too much. At least that's what I have to tell myself to keep myself from crying. <laughs> this statement was followed by a hearty laugh that I couldn't help but respond to being in kind. You're right, Yusef, I finally responded. I'll have to do a better job keeping in touch in the future. Ah, uh, Yusuf heard that one before. For now, answer me this. Why are you calling today? Believe it or not, I have an idea for a small project that I wanted to run by and get your thoughts. Really? I have to say I'm a little surprised. Eva's not going to believe it. Well, it's a rather small-scale project, and I think it would be interesting enough that I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of my personal freedom for the greater good. Oh, how noble of you, young one. Okay, then. Let's hear it. I was thinking of a program where I spent a day with an elder and end up with an interview. Could be somewhat appealing. Hmm, I see. I think it would be a compelling program to watch. I'd be coming at it from the angle of examining the wonderful world that we live in today and asking them what it was like getting here. Were they always so sure that things would work out? Thoughts about certain decisions that were made along the way? How do things today compare to the early days? Oh, when you say early days, Rio... I mean early history, obviously. Of course, of course. I'm not going to lie to you, Rio. I like the idea, but it seems somewhat, I guess, lacking. You think so? It's an interesting idea. Don't get me wrong. It's just missing something to punch it up. Well, given the scope, I don't know if it needs to be punched up. Mm, hold on. How about this? Instead of an elder, we get you in touch with the elder, Alma Nye. Hold on a sec. Yeah, now that I think about it, it's perfect. A close friend and colleague of the great Dr. Curious Maxwell. She was alive when he bestowed upon us the gift of everlasting life. He had a major hand in developing and enacting a lot of those decisions you were talking about. It's perfect. One of the greatest elders, Elma Nye, went on with Rio Duvac. The last to be born, benefactor of a perfect world. Oh, I love it. Yusef, I don't mean to be a detractor, but I think it's a little much. I was thinking something a little more small scale. Oh, no worries, my friend. Ultimately, this is your project. I'll leave the production, scope, scale, all that's up to you. We do it your way, but I want it to be with Elma. I don't know. Rio, there isn't an elder that could answer any question you have better than Miss Nye. Anything you would want, she'd have it. Yusef's words rang truer than he could ever imagine. Up until that point, I was concerned about the prospect of interviewing someone like Elma Nye. One slip of the tongue, and she would immediately know what I was after. But as I stared out onto the cityscape that had replaced the vegetation outside my window, the opportunities this presented made themselves clear. You're right, I finally replied, after some moments of silent deliberation. If you can get it together, I'm in. Perfect, my friend. I'll see what I can do. We'll talk again 
uh, to work out the details. After I promised to visit him and Eva soon, we said our goodbyes. For the remainder of my trip back home, I sat in silence, contemplating my next move. Part 3. The Home The Elmanai of the real world did not match the Elmanai of my imagination. The Elmanai of my mind was a larger-than-life paragon of immortality, beyond the qualms of everyday life. An almost inhuman character that admittedly would have been hard for anyone to match. The Elmanai of the real world, on the other hand, proved to be intensely human. The gift of immortality hadn't shifted her focus towards lofty, unseen realms. Instead, it seemed that she gave every passing moment of the past few thousand years the utmost consideration. Elmanai carried herself as one who had outlived death and spent the rest of her life contemplating what that actually meant. Yusuf held up his end of the bargain, giving me full reign to run the interview how I saw fit. The day of, I landed at Elma's home alone, with just a few pieces of recording equipment and G3 to accompany me. Elma's home was rather secluded, a cozy estate surrounded by a towering forest. As I exited my craft and made my way over to greet the awaiting Miss Nye, I was struck by the intimacy of the situation. This time, the sensation was not created out of claustrophobia, but instead isolation. It would seem that moment of dangerous inquiry were always to be proceeding by this feeling. Elma proved to be a gracious host, every cordial and polite as we made our way around her home, getting to know each other. She was, however, hard to read. Attentive and responsive, but not all that expressive. From moment of levity to instances of grim reminiscing, her expression and tone of voice only changed slightly, her whole range of emotions occupying just a few degrees on her face. When it came to time for the interview, we both decided that her study would serve as the best backdrop. Three of the walls were lined with dark wooden shelves filled to the brim with odd relics, awards collected over an accomplished 2,000-year lifetime, and of all things, real books. The collection gave the room a real antiquated feel, threatening to cross the line into prehistoric. This was offset by the large viewport located in the center of the room, framed in a matching dark wood the piece fit the overall decor of the room. The presence of this modern piece of technology, however, only served to make the surrounding display of books seem all that more archaic. The fourth face of the room, a large window, peered into the surrounding forest. A soft gray light tinged green by the foliage flowed through this large portal, hinting at times older than even the most prehistoric human. Miss Elmanai. I want to start off by saying thank you for taking the time out of your schedule for this. Oh, don't mention it, Mr. Duvac. If we're being completely honest, I feel like I'm getting more out of this than you are. Really? How so? Well, the premise is spot on. I've dedicated a large portion of my life working to improve the world in any way that I could. I'm quite proud of that work. And when I look at the world today, I can't help but be extremely pleased with what I see. But... She continued shifting her gaze directly towards me. I have a very unique perspective. I've lived through darker times. I worked directly with the great Dr. Curious Maxwell. I remember worrying about every decision we made in those early days. You, on the other hand, were born after all of that. You don't carry any of the baggage that I do, and you don't have to look at the context, just the results. I see. Well, if you're looking for a critic, I'm sad to say that I don't fit the bill. I'm also extremely happy with what we have. I just... You just have some questions. Exactly. 
Well then, let's proceed. Elma and I decided to start from today and slowly work our way back in time. A lot of the answers she gave involved information that was already known about her life, but she was surprisingly forthcoming with interesting details. She gave her answers a unique spin, lending credence to this interview as a whole. On top of that, I found that I had plenty of opportunity to interject after an answer was given with my own. This helped turn relatively simple answers into miniature conversations. For example, at one point, Elma made an offhand remark about having her companion off most of the time. This comment spawned an interesting debate, pitting her perceived increase in privacy to the lack of convenience that such a decision brought with it. As the interview went on, we delved deeper into history. I noticed a subtle, subtle change occur. Early on, Miss Nye's answers came right off the cuff and were given with a slight air of nonchalance. But as time progressed, I noticed that Elma would tend to pause slightly before giving a response. On top of that, the responses themselves had had a re rehearsed feel to them. These factors were minute enough that a casual observer would not notice them. I was aware of them since I was actively looking for signs of inconsistencies or hesitation in our conversation. So, I said after a good hour and a half of questioning, we arrived to the early days. The dawn of a new era, if you will. These days are notable for a number of reasons, all tying back to one person. Dr. Curious Maxwell. You personally knew him? Yes, I did. Had the very distinct pleasure of working alongside him. People talk as though he single-handedly delivered humanity out of the Dark Ages, but you and many others worked with him. Do you think that he gets more praise than he should, while you and others like you have your contributions diminished? Oh no, not at all. I understand what you're saying, but honestly, it's not even close. The question is almost sacrilegious. I don't mean any offense by it. I just... No, no, don't worry. I know what you meant. The truth is that the work that I... Randolph, Marsha, and many more contributed while working with Dr. Maxwell was almost insignificant to his overall body of work. The big achievements, the gene mods, the technological breakthroughs, and of course, curing death itself were all solo endeavors. We didn't help him with those. Even to this day, we don't fully comprehend how he was able to do it all. He doesn't get too much credit. If anything, he doesn't get enough. Really? Oh yes, really. I tell you, it was awe-inspiring to witness. As a collective, we would s start to tackle a problem, you know, compile data, conduct research, run trial after failed trial. Slow work, really. After a while, it would prove too slow for Dr. Maxwell, and he would just disappear, go to some unknown part of the world for months to years on end. Finding the cure to dying wasn't a single-step process. Instead, it's almost better to think of it as the end result of many other breakthroughs. Before humans can live forever, you have to solve the issues of genetic mutation, cancer, cognitive decline, telomere shortening, and almost endless lists of issues that had plagued humans forever. That to you are just a collection of meaningless words, unsolvable problems tackled and dismantled by one person in quick succession. It's impossible for you to understand the significance of that, but it goes beyond intelligence. I understand why there are those who worship the doctor, the things he was able to do. The interview ended shortly thereafter. Given our proximity to prehistory, there wasn't too much room for further exploration. 
So after some more praising of Dr. Curious Maxwell, and some vague allusions to how grim things were before the doctor, Elma and I decided to call things there. All right, that's a wrap. Miss Nye, once again, thank you for your time. G3, you did great. You can start uploading the data now. I'll talk to you later. Very good, sir. I'll get right on that. And with that, the companion was once again de-illuminated. That went well. Remarked the elder. We'll have to switch the roles someday. Have me interview you. Oh, I'm flattered, but I feel like that would be a waste of your time doing a full interview on someone as young as me. Mr. Duvac, despite what you've heard, you are not young. Everyone else is just older than you. After a certain point, I began to put more stock into one's experience and personality over the years. As inquisitive and outgoing as you are, I'm sure that you have your fair share of stories. It was at this point I realized that Elmo was on to me. At least to some extent. There was a slight insistence to her questioning that indicated she was waiting for me to explain myself, waiting for me to reveal why I was really here. Seeing as how this was just as good of a jumping-off point as any, I responded, Well, off the top of my head, I do have one story. It's from about three years ago. You might find it interesting. Do tell. You wouldn't happen to know Hilden Polo by chance. No, don't believe so. Who's that? He's an elder, like you. Was he a prominent scientist back in the day, or politically involved at any point? No, don't believe so. Then odds are, I don't know him. Fair enough, dumb question, I admit. Anyway, he's an interesting person, filled with a million stories from his past, and always on the lookout to create more. Really nice, great for conversation, but he was a bit oblivious at times. About three years ago, I stayed at his house as a guest for almost a year. It was really pleasant for the most part. For the most part? Yeah. Towards the end, it started to feel as though Hilden was getting distant from me. A little distrustful, even. For the most part, he was the same jovial self, but I'd catch him staring at me through suspicious eyes when he thought I couldn't see him. And he seemed a little more guarded around me. At the end of my stay, we parted on good terms, but I was positive I would never see that man again. I wonder what was bothering him. I think I have a good idea. Maybe you'll be able to help shed some light on things. One late night, nine months into my stay, I was having trouble falling asleep. I decided to stretch my legs out a little bit and walk around the house. While I was making my rounds, I saw that a light was left on in the basement. No big deal, I'll go down and shut it off real quick. As I made my way down, however, I saw something odd. A new door had appeared. One of the panels of the wall was slightly ajar, leading to a room that up until this moment I had no idea existed. I'll admit it, in this moment my curiosity got the better of me, and I decided to make my way in. The room I found myself was tiny, but closer to cozy than claustrophobic. A single light illuminated some shelves holding a few pieces of memorabilia, a well-worn reading chair, and lastly, a chest flung open and filled with books. Oh no. Yes books, and not like the ones here either. These ones were old, well-worn. After a little examination, I was forced to conclude that they were prehistoric. Impossible. That's what I thought. Up until that point, I was under the impression that every single prehistoric data cell was wiped, every recording destroyed, and the very last page burnt. And yet here in front of me were physical books, fragile, and in some instances serious need of repair, but all the same, there. 
You didn't read them, Rio, did you? Yeah, yeah. Yes, of course I did. Oh, Rio, why? I had to. Their mere existence indicated that everything I knew was wrong. I had to know what truth lied within their tattered pages, and what I read blew me away. It turned out that the books were works of fiction, but the ideas they explored were so innovative, I wondered why we abandoned them. The characters in them traveled not just around the world, but to other worlds. They used large ships and amazing pieces of technology to go into space and find other worlds to live on. And yes, while people did die in these stories, and some of the characters acted in fear of death, they had so much more depth than that. There were those who lived seeking thrills despite the fragile mortality, or perhaps in defiance to it. Others who gave death no thought at all and were driven by their own internal desires. They had problems, but they were not stagnant. Content to stay the course, instead they took their lives into their own hands. As I read, I was struck by how much fuller their lives seemed despite their limitations, and I began to wonder why we weren't like that. We have so much more at our disposal. If we wanted to, I feel as though we could easily expand off of this world. With the entirety of the universe to occupy, we wouldn't need to limit population. New people could be born again. All sorts of new thoughts began to fill my head, and I almost lost track of time. But eventually, I realized that morning was fast approaching, and so I made my way out of the little hideaway, leaving behind the contraband books. Hilden hadn't caught me, but since that day, he seemed to suspect something was up. One thing's for sure, he never left that door open again while I was there, so I never got a chance to read more of those books. The problem was I was hooked. So since then, I've spent the past years scrounging every suspect reclaim yard and unscrupulous archive, looking for prehistoric data of any sorts, but to no avail. And now you're here. Yeah. A revelation hit me recently. Prehistoric data did survive the purge. It wouldn't be on accident. It would have been hidden by those who had an extreme attachment to it, and would be willing to take the risk hiding it. Elders, like Hilden Polo. Or perhaps Elma Nye. Elma was smiling. The largest smile I had seen on her yet. Although that isn't really saying much. Her eyes, however, remained closed. She turned to face me, addressing me through still closed eyes. Rio, you're a smart man. Maybe too smart for your own good. But that can't be helped now. As it were, I do in fact have a piece of prehistoric data tucked away. I can grab it for you right now. I'll show it to you and answer any questions you have, but before I do... At this, Elma's eyes opened. They were slightly damp and combined with a dropped smile, now a frown. She conveyed a muted sadness. I want to say in advance that I'm sorry. With that, she pulled a small pin from her shirt and walked over to a nearby shelf. Placing the pin in some unseen hole in the shelv shelving, she turned the pin into a makeshift handle, revealing a tiny compartment. From inside, she removed the single inhabitant, a picture, and brought it over. This is the only piece of prehistoric data I've kept. It's a picture of me and Dr. Curious Maxwell. At this, I let out an audible gasp. Despite his importance to human history, the visage of the great doctor was completely lost. For some unknown reason, Dr. Curious Maxwell never partook in the breakthroughs that he discovered. While his contemporaries continued to live on into centuries and millennia, Bringing with them their everlasting forms, Dr. Curious Maxwell died long ago. Any trace of what he looked like were lost in the purge. As the elder handed me the photograph, I tried to steady myself, fighting against the anticipation welling up inside me. 
As I began to look at the picture, however, I felt the anticipation giving way to confusion. I looked up to Alma, expecting her to explain what was wrong with the photo, but she gave no indication that anything was off. So I exam examined it at face value. There were two figures in the photo, but they seemed wrong, malformed. The first thing that struck me was how short and stocky they looked, almost as if they were compressed. Using their surroundings, I decided they were around somewhere between five and six feet tall at best. Their limbs were drawn so close to their bodies, their arms thick and taut, ending in stubby fingers. The coloration of their skin also caught my eye during my initial glance. One of the people had a dark tan complexion, while the other was a light peach. At first, I assumed they must have been suffering from some sort of long, eradicated illness that caused their skin to severely discolor. But the more I looked at them, the more oddities I found. The skin on their face was tight to their skulls, cheek-smooth planes that ended in the chin instead of sagging past in a healthy manner. Their eyes were impossibly small and mostly white, the taut skin doing little to hide the shapes of the sockets that held them in their skulls. I continued to stare at the oddities, confused as to what I was looking at, and as I did, eventually I would make out faint features that indicated to me that one of them monstrosities did in fact have some similarities to the woman who sat across from me. Eventually I looked up at Alma and asked her, What is this? Is this one really you? Why do you look so odd here? Rio, believe it or not, that's what humans used to look like, and as far as I know, that's what most of them still look like to this day. Seeing that her response had only deepened my confusion, she continued. Rio, earlier you asked me about why humans don't travel in space and explore different planets. The truth is, they have. Long ago, way before I, or Dr. Curious Maxwell, or any elder was born, humanity built great ships and began to bring people to multiple worlds to settle. This was a massive, coordinated effort overseen by the consulate a ruling body that governed over humanity as a whole. The consulate sought to create cohesion amongst humanity as it spread out to different worlds and did so by imposing restrictions and limitations on all its citizens. This was all well and good for the masses, but there were a select few, including myself and Curious Maxwell, wanting something different. A world outside the reach of the consulate where we would be free to live as we saw fit. So, pooling our resources together, we chartered our own founding ship and set sail deep into unexplored space, away from any prying eyes. You and I now live on the world we settled, Rio. At first, it was difficult. The world was hostile and inhospitable. But we had Curious. During the early days, he made breakthrough after breakthrough, heading up large terraforming projects to make the world more conducive to us, while also researching genetic modifications to make us conducive to living in this world. During this time, we were completely isolated from the rest of humanity, save for Curious Maxwell himself. The scientific breakthroughs he was discovering here on this planet were so extraordinary that he saw fit to bring them back to humanity at large. At first, they were blown away and extremely thankful to the doctor for his contributions. But that was to change. As he continued to return with greater and greater innovations, humanity, or at least the consulate, seemed to be less and less receptive. Soon enough, they were flat out calling the doctor's works abhorrent. 
The final straw was when Curious Maxwell returned to humanity for the last time, bringing with him the gift of immortality. They saw this as an affront to the natural order and deemed both Maxwell and the planet he hailed from blights to be eradicated. Curious rushed back to inform us of humanity's turn against us and their promise of destruction. We determined that the threat of a large galaxy-spanning collective seeking us out to bring about our inevitable demise was too great of a strain to have lingering over the populace. The decision was made to remove any and all traces of humanity's larger existence from our records. Afterwards, it was just an exercise of creating a more docile, introspective populace, one whose eyes would never look to the stars above and wonder what lies beyond, one that would never find out about the true nature of humanity. Now you know what I've known for 2,000 years, a secret you'll have to keep for the rest of your immortal life. Thank you for listening to our live reading of The Sunken Planet, written by yours truly, this has been a Writer on Podcast original. Tune in next week, guys, for a discussion about what Steve wrote here. Yeah, we'll be doing a, like a, a breakdown of the story, parts that we like, parts that we want to rework, um, in the process of editing the story in general. Uh, but until then, everyone, thank you for stopping by and have a wonderful day. Thanks.